Welcome to the Staying Connected podcast, the preaching ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in Montrose, Colorado. I'm Pastor Roland Kennison, and I want to thank you for listening. Rosemont Baptist Mission is passionately bringing people face-to-face with the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. It's our prayer that through this podcast, you'll hear our passion for the gospel and that you will truly experience the transformation that only Jesus can bring. I pray you find the following sermon encouraging and challenging and that it will build you up in the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. And one more thing before we begin. If any of the sermons on our podcast have been helpful to you, would you please let us know? It would be a great help and blessing to us to know that this ministry is being used by God in your life and ministry. Would you tell us where you're located and specifically how this ministry has helped you? We greatly anticipate hearing from you. You can simply email your response to pastor at rosemontbaptist.org. Now, let's begin our time today. Um, let, we're going to be in Romans 6 today, Romans 5, sorry, Romans 5 today. And so in your New Testament, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and Romans. So if that helps, or you can turn your new uh, in, into your uh, table of contents. It'll tell you where it's at. The verses will also be up on the screen. But we're going to talk about salvation today and being saved and what, what that means and how that happens and, and all that. So um, let's look in Romans 6. I'm sorry. I'm going to say Romans 6, but I mean 5, okay? Romans 5 is what we're the thing is, it's on two pages, and I keep looking, and I see the six down here on my Bible, and I just need to get to the right page. Okay, Romans 5, and we're going to start in verse 6. So Romans 5, 6, it says this, For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man. Though perhaps for the good man, someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word, and God, as we look at these symbols of what it means to be saved, I pray that you would teach us this morning. I thank you that you revealed yourself to us. You've you've commanded us to, to engage in these ordinances, these remembrances of what it means to be saved, and I pray you would teach us through that this morning, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. At the, at the beginning of the Bible, way, way back in Genesis 6, 
We have the story of, of how God looked down and saw that the whole of humanity was evil. It says that he looked and he saw that every thought that humanity had was evil. And he says, I'm going to blot them out. I'm going to wipe out my creation. I'm going to wipe it out and start again. And so I'm going to, to do this with, with a flood. I'm going to wipe out, it says, every human, every animal, every bird, every creeping thing on the ground. God says, I'm going to wipe out. But then it says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So you might remember the story, God sent a worldwide flood, and yes, I believe God sent a worldwide flood that wiped out all of humanity except those that were preserved on this ark. They were saved through this, this judgment of God. And the waters dissipated, and Noah and his family came out, and the animals came out of the ark, and God made a covenant with Noah. God made a promise and a covenant, and in this covenant, he gave a sign, a symbol of that covenant. God placed a bow in the sky, a rainbow. Now, when it's, we call it a bow, we're not talking about a bow that wraps up a present. This is a bow like a warrior's bow. This is a bow and arrow kind of bow. That's what it means. And God said, when it looks like it's going to rain, and it looks like maybe the world might get flooded again, God said that God would look at this rainbow and remember he made a covenant not to destroy the world through water ever again. That was the, the sign, the, the symbol of this covenant. It's the idea that I know, God's saying, I know men are going to continue to be evil, but I am going to withhold the wrath of my bows and arrows of, of judgment, and I'm going to withhold that, and like Noah, I'm going to give grace and not destroy humanity at that point in time. God placed a symbol in the sky as a reminder. Now listen, God doesn't need a reminder, but we do, right? So when we see a rainbow, or recently sometimes we see those double rainbows, aren't those great? And we're in awe of them, we look at them, it is a reminder that our warrior God has set aside his bow for the time being, and that while we deserve to be wiped out because of our sin, God said, I'm going to wait and not destroy the world through water. Now, the rainbow is not just some natural phenomenon that occurs when it rains. Every time you see a rainbow, it's that reminder that our God is a God of grace. He's a God of justice he will judge sin, but he will provide grace. Now, some have taken that symbol, 
And they used it to celebrate evil and sinfulness and perversion. It's Satan's little sick joke, right? That it, it, the symbol is to remind us that God has held off on his judgment for sin, yet people adopt that as a celebration to engage in whatever sin you can imagine. But they can, they can try to co-opt that symbol, but that's not what the symbol means. That symbol is a symbol of God's covenant to us, of his grace. God likes to speak to us in symbols. He speaks to us clearly in his word. He speaks to us um, very clearly. There's not like, while the Bible is hard to understand, it's not like this mysterious uh, code or something we have to break, but God does speak to us in, in symbols. You think of something like the, the pillar of fire and the pillar of smoke that led the people of God through the, through the wilderness, and that picture of the pillar of fire and pillar of smoke show up in a lot of different places, that, and it speaks to the richness of God's direction and God's presence. We have the tabernacle, and we have the, the temple after that. And inside, all the little things, they all point really to Christ. We have a Passover lamb that points to Christ. There's the bronze serpent that was raised in the wilderness that points to Christ. These are all symbols that God used to paint a rich picture of the salvation that he would provide. Because these symbols can speak of powerfully deep spiritual truths. Now we've, we've seen one symbol this morning in the baptism. We're going to participate in another symbol this after, or after I get done talking. So maybe this afternoon, we'll see. Um, <laughs> I'll try to be quicker than that. So as we think about baptism and the Lord's Supper, we need to remember that these are symbols that the Lord gave to us to speak to us about a rich spiritual truth. They're more than just a religious rite. They're symbols. And so if these symbols, if they're symbols, then what do they remind us of? And first, what we see in our passage that we read today is that God wants us to remember that Jesus' death saves us. Jesus' death saves us. And we read in Romans 6, 9, we go back again and it will say, For while we were still helpless, sorry, Romans 5, 6, that's what I'm trying to say, Romans 5, 6, For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man. Though perhaps for the good man, someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. We are saved. 
can I get one amen? Okay, we, we, are, we are saved through the death of Jesus Christ. Not through our good works. We can't earn it. We can't do it. It's because Jesus died. We are saved. The eternal God left his place in heaven. He humbled himself to take on an additional nature of humanity so he'd be fully God and fully man. He walked a sinless life on this earth in complete and full submission to the Father. And his, he, his creation unjustly tried him, brutalized him, and torturously killed him. And they nailed him to a cross where he slowly and painfully and unjustly died, and that is how we are saved. Paul tells us here in Romans that the decision to do that For Jesus to come and stand in our place wasn't because we are awesome people. (laughs) It didn't say that. It did not say that Jesus came and took the full brunt of the wrath of God because of our sin just because we are really, really great, okay? In fact, he uses some words to describe us. He first tells us what we were. Right? He tells us what we were. And the first word he uses, we see in verse 6, he says we were helpless. We were helpless. Picture a newborn baby and how utterly and completely helpless this baby is to do anything on their own. That's the image of us. We were, and I might add we are, still completely powerless to reconcile ourselves to God. There is nothing we can do to get in good with God. There's not enough good works. There's not enough prayers to be prayed, not enough Bible to be read, not enough money to give. There is nothing we can do. We are powerless to reconcile ourselves to God. Spiritually speaking, we stand before a holy, sovereign God, powerless, And God did not look at us and say, when you get your life back on track, when you're able to pull yourselves up by your own bootstraps, when you get some power into your lives, then I'll send my son to die for you. He didn't say that. While we were in our helpless state, Christ died for us. He uses another word to talk about us. He says, we were ungodly. That is, we were not like God. Okay, God is godly. God is a whole lot like God, right? He is perfectly godly, and we are ungodly. We were not like him. We were made in the image of God, but that image was so badly marred by sin that we no longer look like him or act like him. We are ungodly. In fact, we were living in fierce opposition to him, and we had no reverential fear of him. And the scripture says that we were considered wicked. And God did not come to us and say, listen, when you can work your life and do enough so that you become to look like me more, then I will send my son to save you. 
It says, when, when we were there, Jesus died for the ungodly, is what it says. He uses another word. In verse 8, he calls us sinners. All we have to do is turn back a couple of pages to Romans 3.23 and find out what that means. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Sinning, being a sinner, means we fall short of God's perfect standard. He wants complete and holy perfection. Anybody here fall short of that? Okay, I, I do. Um, and here's newsflash, so do you. I mean, we all fall short of God's perfect standard. And it's not just that we have been marred by sin. It means we have broken God's law. We have heard and know what God desires, and we refuse to do it and break his law. We were actively living against God's law, and God did not say, I'll send Jesus to save you when you have enough self-will to stop breaking my law and to live perfectly. Paul says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There's one more word he uses to describe us. It's actually found in verse 10. We'll look at verse 10 in a minute, but I want to work, look at the word. And the word is enemy. We were his enemies. The picture of being an enemy is clear. It's not just that we're unable to save ourselves. It's not just that we didn't look like God. We were ungodly. It's not just that we broke his law, but we were his enemies. We were actively looking for ways to attack him and destroy him. In our natural state, we would attack God and destroy him if we could. We wanted to destroy him and rid ourselves of his authority in our lives. And we know this because when God came in the flesh, that's exactly what we did. We said we didn't want him. Let's kill him and see if we can get rid of him. And while we were God's enemy, seeking how to rid him from our lives, God sent his son to save us. Amen. We were helpless, ungodly sinners and enemies of God. And when we were in that place, when we couldn't get further away from God, God reached out and grabbed us and drew him to us. That is, that is what we were, so what did God do? And I've talked about that, but I'm going to sum it up this way. What did God do? God loved us. In that state... The ultimate demonstration of how much God loved us is what we're talking about. Verse 8 says, but God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were yet helpless, ungodly sinners and enemies of God, Christ died for us. 
That is the good news. He did not demand a change before he sent his son. He didn't say, you got to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. He didn't demand we become like him. He did not demand we stop sinning before he sent his son while we were disgusting, vile, rebellious, enemies of God. God loved us. And we know, we know that because Jesus came He died in our place and reconciled us to the Lord. And when we place our faith in what he did on the cross, instead of our works, we are saved from the wrath of God, it says. And guys, that is what we're remembering today. This is what we remember in the Lord's Supper. That is what we're remembering when Jesus was feeding the 5,000, he, he would say to the Jews in John 6, 55 and 50, John 6, 54 and 55, he says, He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Now, Jesus is really not talking about the Lord's Supper right there, and he's really not talking, and, and I'm not saying that this bread, uh, this bread and this juice are literally the, bl- the body and blood of Christ, because it's not. They are, I said from the beginning, symbols to teach us the truth. And what Christ is here, he's not saying we're cannibals, which Christians were accused of from the beginning of time, um, well, the beginning of the church, you know what I'm saying, but he's saying when we take something to eat and we drink something, that becomes part of us. And if we eat Jesus' flesh, we drink his blood, so to speak, what we're saying is, I've taken Christ into my life and it is transforming me from the inside out. When his flesh was nailed to the cross and his blood was drained from his body, the wrath of God was satisfied. And when we trust in that, we've taken Jesus into our life. You might even say we've eaten Jesus' body and drank his blood. We've taken him into our lives and we are saved. So this meal that we're going to have reminds us that we are powerless, ungodly sinners and enemies of God. And Jesus, his death, saves us from the wrath of God. And while we take time to take the Lord's Supper to remember that Jesus' death saves us, we're told in verse 10 and 11 that Jesus' life saves us. Look in verse 10 and 11. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. See, the good news is not just that Jesus died for our sin, took our sin, took the wrath of God so we don't have to, that he was dead and buried, but the good news is he rose from the dead and he is alive right now. That is the good news. That his life saves us. See how Paul said it? He said in verse 9, 
Jesus says, death saves us from the wrath of God. Verse 10, that means Jesus' death reconciled us to the Father. And now that we're reconciled, Jesus' life saves us. So because Jesus lives, guys get this, because Jesus lives, we are new creatures in Christ. And all those old descriptions, powerless, ungodly, sinners, enemies of God, all the old has gone away and everything has become new. So we have, we've trusted Jesus to save us. And that means a couple things. First, it means without Christ, we can do nothing. Without Christ, we can do nothing. Now, I don't mean some things, <laughs> and I don't mean a little bit. Without Christ, we can do nothing. When we were reconciled to God, it was not for our good works. It wasn't through the power of anything that we did. It was through the death of Jesus. We were powerless. And that truth, the truth is, after we come to Jesus through the death of his, come to the Father through the death of his Son, we're still powerless. But we have the Holy Spirit of the living God indwelling us now that we didn't have before. And so being saved by Jesus' life means that in Christ we can do all things. I'll say it again. In Christ, we can do all things, right? All things. So we read John 6, 54 and 55 earlier, where he told us that when we take in Jesus, when we eat his flesh, drink his blood, we, we gain eternal life. I use that to talk about how his death saves us. Now, if we read a couple more verses right after that in John, 5, John 6, 56 and 57, he says this, He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. And the living Father sent me as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me will also live because of me. When we eat his flesh, drink his blood, that's a euphemism for trusting in Christ for salvation. Jesus abides with us and we live by Jesus like he lived by the Father. How did he live by the Father? Let's read some verses that says, how did Jesus live on this earth in reference to the Father? In John 5, 19, Jesus answered and was saying to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it's something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. Or we could read John 8, 28. Jesus says, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know I am He, and I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. So Jesus, the eternal Son of God, the creative agent right? The one who created things, the one who holds all things together says, I do nothing on my own initiative, only what the Father tells me to do. That's how Jesus lived. And we are called to live that same way. That is how we are to live. 
we are to live by remembering that without Christ, we can do nothing, but in Christ, we can do all things. So start, start thinking about what that means. That means in this life, in Christ, we can be victorious over sin. That's what Scripture will tell us. It means we are no longer powerless or ungodly or sinners and enemies of God. When God looks at us through the blood of Jesus Christ, he sees us justified, just as if we had never sinned. If we took the next chapter of Romans, which is continuing this thought of life and death, he says in Romans 6, and I do mean Romans 6 this time, Romans 6, starting in verse 4. Now, this is a longer passage, and I'm going to just read it, follow along, but follow the themes of death, the death of Jesus, and the life of Jesus, and how Jesus' death saves us, and Jesus' life saves us. So Romans 6, 4, and I'll read through verse 12. It says this, Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we've died with Christ, we believe that we should also live with him. Knowing that Christ having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, and here's kind of the point, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. If we are told we've died with Christ, then we've been resurrected with Christ. It means that we walk right now in the newness of life. It means that sin no longer is master over us. And the excuse of, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, really doesn't count. We are more than that in Christ. It means we are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. And guys, that is what we declare in believer's baptism. That is what we are declaring when we are buried with him through baptism into death to rise and walk in newness of life. We are saying we now have Christ in us, not because we're baptized, that's the symbol of the decision we made. Because, we, because Jesus is alive, we are meant to walk in newness of life. Because Jesus is alive, we are meant to be freed from sin. Because Jesus is alive, we are meant to live in the likeness of his resurrection. 
Now, I want to be really clear here. I'm not saying that after we come to know Christ, we have some sort of power that we can do this on our own. This only happens when we submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit and his work in our lives. I stand by my previous statement, without Christ we can do nothing, but I also proclaim what Paul says, that in Christ I can do all things. In his book, The Saving Life of Christ, Major Ian Thomas gives this illustration. I have a glove here. I mean, don't you all carry a glove with you? Right in your pocket? I have a glove. And I can say to that glove, glove, pick up the Bible. Glove, pick up this, this music stand. Pick up this microphone. Pick it up. And it doesn't. You notice it's just sitting there. It has fingers. It has a thumb. It, can, it, it looks like a hand. And I can demand, and I can yell, and I can command, and it does nothing. And you might say, well, of course it can't. You didn't tell it how to, right? you got to tell the glove how to do these things. So I can sit and preach, and I can instruct, and I can show how to do these things to this glove until my patience is exhausted, but as hard as I can This glove cannot lift this Bible. Now, I've got gloves at home that has done all kinds of stuff. I've got gloves that worked on cars. I've got gloves that have done, used a shovel, that picked up rocks, that dug in the dirt, that picks up glass. I've got gloves that do all kinds of things, but this glove is doing nothing. And none of those gloves did anything before I put my hand into it. And now that my hand, as soon as my hand comes into the glove, my glove becomes as strong as my hand. Right? The glove's limit is what my hand can do. Picking up the Bible is no problem for the glove now. Not because the glove can do it, but because the hand can. The only limitation is the measure in which the glove is simply willing to clothe the work of the hand. If the glove is unsubmissive to the hand, it won't work. That's what it means to be saved by the life of Christ. You are the glove. Jesus is the hand. Because the Holy Spirit of the living God indwells you because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, everything that's possible for him becomes possible for you. Now, I'm not going off into weird prosperity gospel healing kind of stuff. I'm talking about what the Bible's talking about. And we avoid that stuff because of the the weirdness on one end. But the Bible says, whatever's possible that God can do through you, he can do if you submit. And the only limitation is whether you're submitting yourself to the hand, so to speak. It means that we can truly say with Paul, I can do all things 
through Christ who strengthens me. You might say, I just can't share my faith with that person. Well, you may not be able to, but Christ can easily do it if you would submit and let him speak through you. It's not impossible. You might say, I could never go to a foreign country on some sort of mission trip because I just couldn't do that. You might not be able to, but Christ can. It's not a limit for him. You might say, I'm just not able to work in that ministry at the church. You may not be able to. You're a glove. The hand can. It's, it's a matter of submission. If you're willing to clothe the work of Christ in you. That is what we're declaring in baptism. And in the Lord's Supper, we're declaring that while we were helpless, ungodly sinners and enemies of God, Jesus Christ took the wrath of God and saved us. We're saved by his death and we're saved by his life. And today we got that demonstration on, on both ends, at the beginning of service, and we'll do this at the end of service. I'm going to have you bow your heads and think through this. These symbols are not the act, but they are declaring some great, deep spiritual truths. And so I ask you first, have you ever trusted in Jesus' work on the cross instead of what you've done to get in good with God. Maybe today you need to trust Christ for the first time. And believer, maybe you've forgotten that being raised to walk in the newness of life because Jesus rose from the dead, you walk in newness of life. Maybe you forgot that that means he can do all things through you. And there's something you need to give to him today. Heavenly Father, I come to you and ask that you would speak through, through, through this time. You would speak to our hearts. You would move us and draw us to you. God, if there's someone who needs to trust you for their first time, have them do that today. Convict them. Show the light of the gospel into their heart and let them see for the first time. Let them surrender to you. God, for those who are believers who need to know that you can do all things through them, I pray that that would be freedom for us. I don't have to work and work and work trying to save my salvation. I just let Christ work through me. God, work among us now as we get ready for the Lord's Supper. I pray that you would bring to mind anything that we need to get right with you about. Maybe a, a spat with a Christian brother or sister and we need to get right with. Maybe there's just something in our lives we need to, to surrender to you and get right with you today. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to the Staying Connected podcast, the preaching ministry of Pastor Roland Kennison from Rosemont Baptist Church in Montrose, Colorado. We pray the Lord will use this sermon to help you in your life and ministry. If you found this podcast helpful, would you consider contributing to our ministry? You can give online at www.rosemontbaptist.org forward slash give. If you live in Western Colorado or you're visiting the area, we would love to have you visit us on Sunday morning. Our services start at 10.45 a.m. You can also watch our worship service live through our website at rosemontbaptist.org. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.